Lord, we thank you for the power of forgiveness. It is the foundation of your kingdom and it's the foundation of all mankind and humankind to get our arms and our minds and our heart and our whole being, our soul around forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You laid down your life to win us back. So Lord, today as we study some more about forgiveness, we ask that you would open the eyes of our heart and our mind and our soul to be illuminated by you and by you alone. Bring us your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd ask you just to reach into your program guide and pull out your guided notes this morning. And uh, we are in uh, the second week on a series on one of the most difficult subjects, I think, for us to get our arms and our minds around. It's not the subject of finances. It's not the subject of relationships. It's not even our sexuality. It's the subject of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that's hard to get our mind around. I think we misunderstand it often, at least I do. And I see other people who misunderstand it, so we don't really engage in it. Last week, we ended the service with this scripture from Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It sounds good. I mean, this is a nice verse we'd like to have on our refrigerator in the morning or in the mirror when we get up. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive. How? Just as God in Christ forgave you. That's sacrificial forgiveness. God is asking us to be sacrificial in the way that we forgive. And, but why is it that I so often miss the mark on compassionately forgiving other people? I don't know about you, but I do. I miss the mark quite often on compassionately forgiving other people, even though I know in my mind it's the right thing to do. I think that one of the reasons I do that is because I misunderstand forgiveness. And so I just want to clear up some things about what forgiveness is not before we move into talking this morning about what total forgiveness is. What total forgiveness is not, it's not approving of what the other person did. So when you're saying, I forgive, you're not, well, it was okay that they did that. It's kind of like when someone apologizes to you and says, I'm sorry, and you say, yeah, well, that was okay. Oh, really? Well, then I'll do it again. It would be like, you know, at the greeting time this morning, someone stomping on my foot, coming up and stomping as hard as they could, and I'm like, ah! And then they say, oh, sorry about that. And I go, hey, it's okay. Okay, then I'll do it again. It's not okay. Total forgiveness is not saying it's okay. It was never okay. It's not okay to repeat it again. It's not good to do it in the future to me or anybody else. Okay? So forgiveness does tell the truth. Okay? Okay. Uh, total forgiveness is not excusing not, or not minimizing. That's when we say, you know, hey, hey, it's okay. Maybe I kind of deserve that. It's all right. We minimize it and kind of stuff it down, which leads us to the next thing. It's not denying Denying is stuffing it and putting on that happy Christian face. You know, that popsicle stick with the everything's fine face on it. A couple years ago, I remember Bob Fell doing a drama here, and and he had the popsicle stick there with the fine face on it. And everybody asked him how they were doing. He'd put that fine. I'm fine, fine. I'm doing just fine. Everything's okay. You know, when we push things down in our life like that, it leaks. We think we can push down our emotions, our feelings, our wounds from our past. It leaks out somewhere in our life. You can't push down that stuff without it causing enough pressure in life to leak, okay? Forgetting. It's not forgetting. It's not wiping it out of your memory because that's impossible for us to do that. We can't, especially things that have hurt us. You know, we can forget to pick up that gallon of milk on the way home because it doesn't really seem that important to us or we just forget. It's hard to forget when we were injured. I remember my injuries physically, emotionally, spiritually. I remember my injuries and so do you. So we can't just forget. Total forgiveness is not just forgetting. It's, not, it's also not reconciling. Reconciling uh, is when two people come back together. It takes two parties to reconcile. And often, I think, as Christians, we don't enter into forgiveness because we feel like, well, I can't be totally reconciled to that person. They don't seem to care. They don't want to do that. They're dead and gone. Some people are gone from our lives. 
Uh, Some people aren't around us anymore. And so we think, well, I can't walk in forgiveness. I'm just going to just kind of pretend that didn't happen or something. Because we misunderstand what total forgiveness is. In the book Total Forgiveness, the author R.T. Kendall writes these words. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not always the same. Reconciliation requires the participation of two people. The person you forgive may not always want to see you or talk to you. Or they may have passed away since the time of the offense. Moreover, you may not want to maintain a close personal relationship with the person that you forgive. Sometimes we have to forgive people, but it doesn't mean that we entrust ourselves emotionally, physically, or in other ways. And again, because they might not be a trustworthy person. Take, for instance, someone who has been abused sexually, physically in some way. And this person doesn't turn from their ways. This person over here who was affected by that can forgive this person, but they're not reconciled because if they come back together, this person continues to abuse the person over here. And that's not what God requires of us. He does not require of us to live and to be enmeshed in abused situations. He wants us to forgive, but at times we cannot entrust or be reconciled until they make things right. And they may never make things right. But you can walk in forgiveness and be freed from them. Because when we walk in unforgiveness, we are tethered or tied to that person. We live in a dungeon. We think they're in despair, we're in despair. We spend an inordinate amount of our energy and our time thinking about the offense. Thinking about what it would look like if they apologized. Thinking about what they owe us. When they do something similar that comes up again, we mark it down on our scorecard. See, that's just the way they are. And we walk in unforgiveness. But today I want to talk about what total forgiveness is. So if total forgiveness is not approving, excusing, denying, forgetting, or reconciling, then what is it? Let's go ahead and get started. Total forgiveness is canceling the debt and destroying the scorecard. It is canceling the debt and destroying the scorecard. Some of the most powerful verses in all the Bible are regarding forgiveness. And some of those most powerful ones are from Jesus when he was hanging on the cross for those six hours that Friday. On those six hours, Jesus had a lot to process. Jesus had never sinned. He didn't know what it was like to miss the mark. But on that day, he bore the weight of sins past, present, and future on his shoulders, physically, emotionally, spiritually, for six hours long hours nailed and stuck there he processed the ramifications of sin and being separated from god of all of his words on the cross his last words recorded for us probably give us an insight into total forgiveness the most jesus said this it is finished with that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It's important to know that when jesus was saying it is finished from the cross he wasn't mumbling it It wasn't a resignation of, oh, it's all over, finally. No, it was a declaration. As Jesus pushed himself up with his last breath on on, on his feet, on those nails, and on his hands, and as he pushed his body forward, he declared strong words. It is paid for. Let us never forget that declarations of forgiveness are powerful. They are even more powerful than the wounds that they cover. And our declarations of forgiveness need to be total. They need to be powerful. They need to be processed. They need to be informed by God. They need to be filled with his spirit for them to be powerful and to cancel the debt that is owed to us. His last declaration is a powerful one. He used a word, we have it translated here, it is finished. He used a word here, tetelestai. Tetelestai would be in Greek. And it was used in the marketplace for um, actual legal documents where there was an agreement between two people because somebody had received some goods or services and they were paying back for them. There was a debt involved. And when that debt was satisfied they would write over the top of the front of that document, tetelestai, it is paid for, it is canceled. As a matter of fact, they used the term even more often when the one who was owed money would just cancel the debt, even when everything wasn't paid. They would use that. 
And they would mark it. It was a strong word. And so when Jesus cried it out, they heard it in the context of their day. It would be like, debts are canceled? He's canceling debts? He's taking care of things? He's righting wrongs? They would have known what Jesus meant by that. He was making an indelible print on all of mankind. When he said, no, paid in full. His word was a strong declaration that he screamed out, cried out from the cross. Total forgiveness is like that. It's sacrificial. When we feel nailed or stuck, we feel like we've been wronged and we've been wounded. We didn't want it to be this way. Especially then our declaration not only sets other people free, it sets us free. It sets us free from the spirit of, you owe me. You owe me an apology. You owe me something. We cancel the debt saying, it's finished. You don't owe me an apology anymore. You owe me nothing anymore. You don't owe me a pound of flesh. I plunge you and I in the sea of God's forgetfulness. I forgive. It is total. And that's where forgiveness begins. With canceling the debt. And when we forgive that way, we also need to take the scorecard that we've had. Where we've marked down the debt. We've written it in ink there, and we need to give it up. God's Word says it this way. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Underline that. It keeps no record of wrongs. Every time I read this passage, I think to myself, I'm not sure if I'm a very good lover. I'm not sure I'm a very good lover of people because boy, do I keep scorecards. Boy, do I keep scorecards. I'd like to say that I don't. I'd like to think that I don't. I'd like to think that I'm a man of the cloth. Men of the cloth hold nothing against anybody. Nothing bothers us. Everything slides off our backs. We live in constant communion and prayer with God and we're totally forgiven. Even when people's cell phones or whatever make weird noises. Oh, that wasn't a cell phone. That was a cell baby. (laughs) I would like to think that I don't keep a scorecard. But the truth is this. Inside the vest pocket of every one of our souls, we have a card, a scorecard. It has people's names on it. It has demarcations next to it. Some places it has words or phrases. It has dates with some people. It has recurrences. With some people, we have a scorecard there deep in our soul. And we keep score of offenses from other people. Some people are repeat offenders. They keep coming back. They keep repeating the same thing. And there's check mark after check mark after check mark after their name. This is especially true of the people that we share life with, our family. We live with them. We budget with them. We go on vacations with them. We plan things with them. We grieve losses in life with them. We live close with them. And because we do, we see all the habits and patterns in their life very clearly. Probably even more clearly than our own. We see their defaults and their bad habits. And so we keep a scorecard with them. But if we're going to truly forgive and cancel the debt, we're going to need to take those scorecards and we're going to need to torch them. Get rid of them. One of the ways that I think, uh, I'm going to give you just a little example of how to do this is today I want you to go home and I want you to, uh, if there's somebody after today's message that you feel like, man, I don't let that person off the hook. I do not. I have a scorecard for them. I forgive other people. I erase, but there's that one person, one thing, man, it just keeps coming back. It keeps coming up. It preoccupies my time. When I think about them, I think about them negatively. When I think about them, I think, but they owe me. When I think, well, when they come, here's how I used to think. If they'll come and apologize, then I'll forgive them. That's a bad one. Because if they never come and apologize, then you're still stuck in unforgiveness. Right? So I used to think that way. What I want you to do is take a card, an index card, and I want you to write down their name. I want you to write down what they did. If it's a date and you know it, write down the date. If there's check marks, I want you to put them down. I want you to be as brutally honest as you can with yourself about this. Then I want you to get a red Sharpie marker. 
Everybody know what a Sharpie is? It's permanent. And I want you to write over top of it, paid in full. Then I want you to go out back and maybe you haven't fired up the grill for a while. I want you to fire up the grill. Take the top off. Lift it up. Get things going. Look around see if the neighbors are looking or not. Nobody's nothing. Just yell out as loud as you can. Paid in full. I'm torching the scorecard. Then I want you to grill it. And I want you to turn it up on high. And I want you to make sure it is completely and utterly destroyed. The record is removed. And then I want you to turn to the Father in heaven and say, thank you for doing that for me and for my sin and my transgressions. I want to forgive as in Christ you forgave me. Because that's what you ask and that's what you require. I know you think I'm being ridiculous, but I'm not. Some of you need to do that exercise today. Because in your mind, you have exercised for years and rehearsed for years what they owe you. And you need to do something that puts a mark in the sand and says, no, no. The debt is paid for. The debt is paid for. And I'm burning it for all time. Then when it comes up again, because you can't forget and you remember... If it comes up again and you start keeping the ledger again, I want you to do it again. And I want you to do it at least 70 times 7 times or more, in the words of Jesus. Because when it comes up again, because we can't forget, what do we need to do again? We need to forgive again. We need to go through that process again. So it becomes what? Part of who we are. Part of our DNA. Part of our soul to be a forgiver a person of both truth and grace, someone who's free to forgive, free not only to receive forgiveness for ourselves, to let it in, but to let it out. Because God never expected us and didn't build us to be reservoirs of forgiveness. He built us to be rivers of forgiveness so that the forgiveness flows to us and then through us. He doesn't want us to store it up for ourselves. He wants us to give it away freely just as he does. Second thing about total forgiveness is this. Total forgiveness, is, it's hard. It's a big exercise. It's about canceling that debt and getting rid of the scorecard. But the next step is just as important because it calls on our resolve, the resolve of our soul to refuse to get even. Total forgiveness is refusing to get even. Refusing to get even. When we carry around unforgiveness with us, we can begin to consider ways to get even, ways to settle the score with that person who owes us. We think, uh, I don't get mad, I get even, right? Ever thought that or said that or joked about that? I don't get mad, I get even. We develop the sort of self-righteous attitude that says that we have the right to get even because they hurt us. We revert back to an Old Testament theology, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. For some of us, settling the score has become almost an obsession or a lifestyle. We think about it. We consider it. We calculate. We craft moments where we can get just the right dig in or the right word in. You know, because we want them to feel the what? The pain that we felt. The problem is, is that when we appoint ourselves both this judge and the jury, the punishment is never enough, right? Have you ever punished someone else for hurting you and gotten to the point where you said mentally, I think that's enough. I think I've punished them enough. I think they're pretty repentant now. We seem to have a good relationship. I think I'm going to stop punishing them now and we're all good. Ever happened to anybody out there? No. No, because too much is never enough when it comes to doling out punishment. They owe you. And although you keep a scorecard, you don't keep a punishment card of, oh yeah, now we're pretty much even now. Because you weren't meant to be the judge. God was meant to be the judge and the jury. And what you need to do is let him settle that account. And we can only walk in, with God in harmony with God and with ourselves 
when we walk in this pathway that God has given us. Out of the dungeon of unforgiveness and into the sea of forgetfulness. Romans 12, 17 through 21 gives us this pathway when it says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's two parts of this passage here that I want to just dissect for you for a moment. The first one is this. The first one is more like an overall idea of the passage. The overall idea of, of the passage is when I forgive and when I choose not to punish the other person or get even, I'm realizing that when I'm wounded, I don't see things clearly. When I'm wounded, I don't see things clearly. And so when I'm wounded and I don't see them clearly, if I was the one who's to dole out the punishment, I become judge and jury, I don't see it clearly. God does, though. He sees things clearly. So if I turn it over to him who sees clearly, he'll see what needs to be punished. He'll weigh out the motives of that person's heart. He'll deal with them. But when I'm punishing them, I'm kind of getting in the way of God doing his work. I might even be blocking God being able to deal with their soul. But when I realize, you know what? I'm hurt and I'm wounded and I can't see clearly. God knows better than me so he can deal with them better than I can. Now, this does not mean you're not honest or that you don't confront, okay? I just want to take a little side here. This doesn't mean that you don't confront. There's times for confronting. There's ways of doing that. And when you confront, you need to be You need to have processed this before the Lord in prayer. You need to process through it in a way that you have integrity with what you're saying, that you talk about your part in it, that you talk about what you value, and you talk about what you hope could come out of this, and then you talk about it, okay? There are times for that and forgiveness. Not in every situation, but in many situations there are. I'm not saying you don't tell the truth. I'm not saying stuff it, okay? What I'm saying is you don't dole out the punishment. You let God be the one who doles out the punishment. The second part of this passage that I want to talk to you about is something that I discovered just a couple of weeks ago about this phrase here. In doing this, he says, you will heap burning coals on their head. Now, to me, that's just a downright weird sounding thing. It sounds like I can kind of have vengeance emotionally. Like, I'm going to forgive you. Because God's going to open up a big can of whoop on you. That's what it sounds like to me. For years, I thought that's what it meant. Like inside, you could kind of feel like, yeah, I'll forgive you. God's going to track you down. When he catches you, look out. You got a big can of whoop with your name engraved on it. He can do a lot more than I ever could. But see, that's kind of a vengeful, revenging spirit. So... I always thought, well, it can't really mean that. And so a couple weeks ago, I was taking a course, and we came across this word as I was taking the course, and, and the instructor in the course, and the, actually two professors were teaching at that time, coming back and forth, and they were like, oh, let's teach you about this word. This word is used very sparingly in Scripture. I only used a couple places in Scripture. And I thought, ah, this is great. I'm taking you know, copious notes on this. i got to understand this one. And what they said was this word here means a burning coal, not from a wood fire, but from a piece of coal. Now that is important because a wood fire coal will kind of burn for a while and burn itself up, all right? Even a coal fire will eventually burn itself up, but it lasts longer. It gets hotter. It stays there for longer. And coal fires were used back then for purification, for things to be cooked on them or boiled on them or refined upon them that would bring purification. They were also used for cauterization of a wound that would not heal, that kept weeping and seeping. In the Old Testament, this word's used in the Old Testament when they talk about the prophecy of Isaiah. When Isaiah sees God in all of his glory, and he says, oh, he sees God in all of his glory, and what does Isaiah do? He begins to confess not only his own sins, he begins to confess everybody's sins. That's what happens when you see the glory of God. 
It all comes out. I'm wrong, they're wrong, everybody wrong. Here's righteous God. He's holy, holy, holy. He's the only thing in all the Bible that's ever called holy, holy, holy is God. Three times holy. Totally perfect. Totally right. So when Isaiah sees him, and he's a prophet of God, he drops to his knees and says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with a people of unclean lips. In other words, I'm a liar, and they're liars. We're not truth tellers. And it says, an angel of the Lord goes to the altar and takes a coal from the fire, and he brings it, and he does something that seems counterintuitive to us. He takes it, and he puts it upon the lips of Isaiah. Because Isaiah's wound needed to be cauterized so that it could be healed. I remember as a young boy having a wound, getting a wound at the farm, and my hand would not stop bleeding. And I was probably five, six years old at the time. I was at my grandfather's farm. It wouldn't stop bleeding. And I remember my grandmother cleaning it out for me, but then taking a knife and heating it up and coming over and cauterizing that so it would stop bleeding. You know, in that moment, I'm like, here comes grandma with the knife. Ah! But she loved it. She loved me enough to let me suffer some pain for a moment so I could be healed for a lifetime. And that's what God does to us. He comes and we have a gaping wound and it's seeping and it's festering and it's, it's, it's not only hurting us, it's hurting others. And he says, I want to come and I want to bring my healing. I want to bring my holiness to bear on this. It happened with Peter. Peter, when he denied Christ, was sitting around a coal fire. It was a time of great testing for him. He didn't come through pure. The next time that Peter sat around a coal fire was when Jesus was raised from the dead and Jesus said to him and asked him, do you love me? Feed, and then he commissioned him, feed my sheep. I entrust my very people of God to you again. I purify you. I purify you. And it's used here in this passage again. And it says that when we choose to forgive and we relinquish punishment to God, that then God is able to bring his purifying fire to that person's life and touch them. And we're not blocking the way. And I submit to you today, when we live in unforgiveness, when we have to punish, we block the way of the almighty God doing his work in their life. Because we're blocking it. We're chaining it. And God wants to come and bring his refining fire to their life and our life and bring purity, purity, by purifying us from that unforgiving spirit. Total forgiveness is a choice to cancel the debt. It's a choice to burn up the scorecard. It's a choice to say, I don't need to get even for this thing to be taken care of. But you know, I said earlier that when the stakes are high, we tend to get offended much easier, don't we? When the stakes are high in our home and we're around each other. You know, at work, you know, when the stakes are high, we tend to kind of get offended with that family too at times, don't we? In some ways, our, our workplaces are like families. Maybe as dysfunctional as they are. In many ways, they're like families. And we can get offended with one another. And we go, can go through hurts with one another. The same is true of our church staff here. We hurt one another, wittingly and unwittingly. We put pressure on each other. I want you to listen for the next couple moments as Pastor Sean Andrews, who is our pastor at Good Hope Road, explains to you some of the process that he has gone through in the past year about forgiveness as it relates to relationships on our church staff. Let's listen to him as he's very honest with us about his own forgiveness in his life. Last fall, uh, Rick and Joel came to me and asked me, uh, or told me, they thought I ought to take a sabbatical. Uh, they thought I needed one. They, would let, they wanted to go to the elders and just propose I take one from January through April. And they saw in me this need, this emotional instability, um, tiredness, that if I remember the words correctly, they just hadn't ever seen before in me. And they were right, but that was just really the tip of the iceberg because underneath, I was, I was deeply sad. I was probably a little depressed. I was tired. I was, had 
pent up so much hurt and anger and things from my past that I felt pretty disconnected from God, pretty disconnected from others. Don't get me wrong, Daybreak has always been so incredible to me. They have been kind, they've invested into my life, and that's what made all of those feelings even more difficult. Because while I knew the truth, my heart, in my heart, there was still just this incredible darkness, and I just couldn't escape from it. And it wasn't easy, wasn't easy starting a new campus. It was really, really hard work. I mean, there was so much learning to do. This is the first time we ever did anything like this at Daybreak, being one church in two locations. So we had lots of questions, and we had lots of challenges. And listen, Gettysburg Pike Campus has been around so long, and there's so many good things about our church and about the Gettysburg Pike Campus that it just felt like it had so much more to offer than this new endeavor in the basement of a hotel. And over two years of ministry, I found myself taking offense to just things that we were learning to do, like communicate about two campuses or think about two campuses and the way we planned events. And I even began to take offense with people on staff and the two grace-filled men of Rick and Joel who, man, they just, they loved me and they led me, but I know I'm just, I'm not that easy to lead sometimes. And so, you know, I confess to you now that it, I had a lot of inner doubts, a lot of insecurity, and it tainted my view. I mean, I received it through my grid. So even as I'm telling you this story now, I just ask that you give me that extra measure of grace because those of you who know me well, you've heard me say it before. I've got a lot of issues. I am a recovering sinner who is really just learning to be God's beloved son, how to receive that love from God and how to give it away. You know, forgiveness is really, really hard. And I resisted it for a long time in my life. No one ever taught me how to forgive. I, I think the only sermons I ever remember on it were basically, hey, just make that decision and move on. And we didn't do it much in my family of origin. So my view of forgiveness was often, if I summed it up, it would probably be just get over it and move on. Don't let offenses take any root, just move on. The problem was that I really totally misunderstood forgiveness. That, wasn't really a long-term strategy. And so during my sabbatical, I started praying. My prayers weren't really prayers as much as a litany of offenses and hurts that I felt God needed to make right. And so the Holy Spirit began to unearth and just reveal this judgmental spirit in my heart and how offensive I had become to God. And it was gentle, and it was like he was just melting this hardness on the outside of my heart. And I could honestly, for the first time, just see how awful my heart looked and how horrible my feelings had become. So after a while, I finally relented, and I began to confess. I began to repent. In fact, I remember telling some people that the main theme of my sabbatical those first two months was just repentance. My prayers became long on repentance and brokenness. So I sought the counsel of a mentor. I remember that mentor telling me, Sean, you cannot heal what you do not feel. And so I began to write in my journal with painful specificity. I mean, I just, everything I wrote felt like it was a knife into my heart. I relived those painful circumstances and those offenses that hurt me so much. I wrote them down in my journal. And then I remember they stayed there for what seemed like a very long time. And I asked God, what do I do now? Where do I go? I remember him telling me some things I didn't want to hear, just that Sean, if you want to be free from this bitterness, if you really want to be free, then you have got to let go. You have got to let people off the hook as if they've done nothing wrong. That's taking that step to really help me just release a portion of my anger and bitterness. But it wasn't the end. I mean, it was, it, it kind of released this hunger in me to really be free. So I began to search and try to understand forgiveness even more. And after 
reading more and more about how to forgive, I began to pray this prayer of blessing over every single person that was in that journal. And as I prayed that blessing, at first it was really difficult. But even as I prayed it over and over again, God began to move my heart closer and closer to true blessing over them, to the place where I could really honestly say I loved them and I was blessing them. In retrospect, I see why it's so important to hold short accounts of offenses that, against people in my life, especially when you were with those people day in and day out. I can see now that when I refused to forgive, it only allowed hurt and anger and bitterness to just build up in my heart. And it's only through forgiveness that I can truly receive God's mercy and God's grace, God's blessing. I stand amazed at how God has used forgiveness and humility to heal my heart and to bring just this whole newness to my relationship with Rick, Joel, with the staff and the elders. I just have a whole new level of trust and relationship with them. And I have seen how others have had so much grace with me as they have spoken into my life of how this change has blessed them. I see now how my my callous determination to perform, to prove something, has been transformed through forgiveness and humility and repentance into a gentle and tempered resolution to be, to be the man that God has invited me to be. And this journey to forgive has helped me once again become a husband and to continue to become the husband that my wife can love to be around again. And to be a father that can begin to bless his sons. I once again have begun to feel that love for Christ and for his church, his bride, in a way that's beautiful and is fruitful. And I love what God has done in me. The fruit that I feel and I love in Christ has now helped me to even enjoy as a campus pastor seeing this little sister daybreak at Good Hope Road and all of her beauty growing up in this incredible family that we call Daybreak. Forgiveness is really, really difficult. But for me, it is an incredibly sacred place where God's holiness meets me and just my humanity. And that's where a miracle happens in my heart, and creates a miracle for others too. You ever had someone give you the gift of forgiveness? I sat with Pastor Sean on Tuesday. I sit with him every Tuesday morning and we do a check-in session and one of the first things we talk about is what do you need to get off your chest? We can do that now because we walk in forgiveness. We couldn't do that before because we weren't walking in forgiveness with each other. So I can listen to him and I can eat my defensive nature <laughs> and he can do the same because we love each other. I told him on Tuesday morning, I said, you know what? Just past, I said, our relationship will never be the same. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness, Sean. Thank you for modeling it for our church and being a person who's broken in the right place. It's broken in the right place. If you think about Pastor Sean this week, just write him a little note. Thank you. That'll be simple enough. Be poignant enough. When people want to forgive us, that's what we should say to them. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me, caring about me, and being Christ to me. The last thing I want to talk about this morning about total forgiveness is this. Total forgiveness is extracting all bitterness. Extracting all bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15 starts out with three words. See to it. Circle those. See to it. That's not a suggestion. That's not a, if you got some time this afternoon, maybe. This is as though you were under command of the senior officer 
And he was saying to you, the first thing that I want you to do, and the last thing that I want you to do, and the thing that I want you to do while you're doing all of your other duties under my command, is to see to it that no root of bitterness grows up in you. And so if Jesus Christ is our commanding officer and we're soldiers of the cross, he's saying to us today, see to it. Do it first, do it last, do it every day. See to it. Check into it. Under your watch, under no circumstances, do you allow bitterness to grow inside of you and inside of your church family. See to it. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. According to this verse, when we harbor wounds in our heart, we fall short of God's grace. We fall down. We're no longer the river where it's coming to us and through us. Our intimacy with God seems dim and dry, hard to move into. Wasn't like it once was. And the blessings of God seem to dry up all around us because we're harboring a bitter root within us and it's growing up and it's strangling us. It's tangling around our legs. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about the sin that so easily entangles us. Maybe it's talking about the sin of unforgiveness because that's pretty common to all of us. It seems to be the one that trips us up. It keeps us from grace. It keeps us from walking in those deep paths with God. It keeps us from knowing him in the depths of our soul. Because other people owe us and we think about them more than we think about God. We spend all of our time and our energy. Bitterness is both crippling and contagious, it says here. Beware. If you're walking in bitterness, you're passing it on. You're passing it on to other people in your family, in your church family, in your workplace, your children, your spouse. It's not just you. You can't just contain it to yourself. It leaks and it gets out. See to it. See to it, God says, that it doesn't grow up in you. You know, it's nice when we nip bitterness in the bud, isn't it? And we don't let those surface roots grow down and we kind of do that and we, we notice there's an offense, we go to the person, we take care of it. That happens. It's great when that happens. The problem arises when we don't deal with these wounds quickly. They go on and on and on. And we find ourselves and others falling short of God's grace because we're living with bitterness in our soul. We're stuck. We're like the turtle on that postcard that sometimes I post on my uh, on my. Uh, front page on my computer it's a turtle ever see it it's inverted he's inverted he's upside down says i'm stuck and you can see that his legs have some movement and that his head's craning around but he's stuck he's inverted and it doesn't matter how much energy he expends he's not going anywhere and there are days where i pull that up on my computer and i just look up to the heavens and i say god that's me i'm stuck And that's the only prayer I've got today is that. That's what I look like and I'm the turtle and I'm stuck on my back and I don't know what to do. Those are some of the best prayers I ever prayed because they're so honest before God. And only God can help me see why I'm stuck. Only his light coming into my life can help me to see where I am stuck. Only he can extract every little bit of bitterness from me. You know, I really don't like root canals. I've had three of them. I don't like them. Um, I had three root canals because they had to rebuild the top of of three teeth and put a crown on them. And um, when I was young, we didn't have um, health insurance. So I couldn't go to the dentist and so forth. None, None of us could. It was like, okay, there's some seething pus coming out of your mouth. Let's finally get the kid to the dentist. And so I had a number of cavities, and when I got health insurance, then in my teen years, I remember my dad getting health insurance, that was a great day, and uh, until I had to go to the dentist. But, so what happened is along the way, I had a lot of decay, and so the tops of some of the back of my teeth 
just weren't there. There were huge fillings. They fall out. You hit the half-century mark. Everything's falling out. <laughs> and so I go, and they have to rebuild. They put these crowns on your teeth. But in order to rebuild them, they've got to, you know, take out the nerves out of the root of your tooth. They've got to do, you know, uh, go in there and do a root canal. So I don't like root canals, but I like them a lot more than the pain that I have when I don't have a root canal. All right? I like a root canal a lot more than the pain that I suffer when I don't have the root canal. So I went in for a root canal, and I think the calls, guys called, someone corrected me in the first service. Is it endodontist? Endodontist. There, I got it right this time. I go in there, and he's really a pretty friendly guy, so he's showing me all of the uh, scans they've taken on my head, and he said, hey, look at this one. He said, here's a root that goes down, and then there's a little root that goes off of it. He said, years ago, they would have never found that. But today, I'm going to go in there, and he pulls out all his little joysticks of stuff he's doing, you know, and he's got his music playing on the iPod over there, and he's telling me, about it. meanwhile, I've got this big brace on the side of my head, and I'm like, Just give me one more shot of Novocaine about right there, right? You think that'll dead me totally out. He said, years ago, we wouldn't have gotten that, and someone would have wondered all their life why they still had pain in that tooth, and they would have called it phantom pain, but it really wasn't. They didn't get it all. They didn't get it all. The Word of God says, see to it. Get it all. Take care of it. And just like you and I need a physician to get in there and x-ray it and go way down in and get every root, every part of the nerve of that root out, so that, he said, if I get it all out, then you can begin to heal. When it's all out, you can heal. So I'm like, get it all. I really don't want to do this again. Just like we do that physically, we need to do that spiritually. There are times where we can't see all the roots and where they go. We can't see all the connections. And so we need God's light to come into our life and to help us deal with the bitter roots, to get at the roots. 1 John 1, 7 says it this way, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, how much of Jesus was totally vulnerable, totally exposed to the Father. How much was Jesus in the light? 100%, 24-7, all the time. The only way I can walk in the light as he is in the light is to invite God to come and do his inspection of me. Not introspection, not beating up on me, just shining the light, showing me where there's a root, agreeing in prayer with him, and reaching down with his nail-scarred hands and getting it out of there so that it's all removed and I can heal. And I can heal. So I can walk in forgiveness. One of the ways that helps me do this, and I've been studying this a lot, and I, I bring it up quite often, is the emotionally healthy spirituality pathways. Know yourself that you may know God, going back to go forward, journeying through the wall, enlarging your soul through grief and loss, discovering the rhythms of daily office and Sabbath, growing into an emotionally healthy adult and going the next step to develop a rule of life. When you take our journey class, at the beginning of each one of our nine sessions, we go through these pathways with you and you get introduced to it in the journey class. Last year we did a series on it and next year we hope to launch some small groups where you can just explore these pathways, okay? But the one that really quite often I go back to is know yourself so that you may know God. You know, I know there's a lot about myself I don't know. But God knows. There's a lot about me that God knows better than me. That's why the psalmist pray, search me, O God, and know me. Why did he pray? Because God didn't know him? No, because he didn't know himself. And when God revealed to him things about himself, he accepted it as truth because he could trust the hand of the Father, the great physician. There are times where you and I need other people to help position us before the light of God in prayer so that we can be set free, so that we can see the roots that are within us that we didn't know were there. That's what our prayer partners do. They'll be available for you at the end of the service. A little bit later on, you'll get to walk up here and either kneel or stand, and they'll come and meet you. And they'll just position you to walk in the light. They'll ask you, what your name is, what your request is. They might ask one or two qualifying questions to understand how to pray for you. And then in prayer, they'll just position you to let the light of Christ in so that everything can be extracted and you 
can walk in healing and wholeness and freedom with God. Last week, we, uh, we sang a song at the end of the service, Forgiveness by Matthew West. Some of you know the story behind the song, but many of you do not. We're going to sing it again this week as we close the service in a few moments, Forgiveness. But we wanted you to know the backstory of the story of the writing of this song, Forgiveness. So train your eyes on the screen and let's just watch this story together. I will never forget that day, the day that I met Renee, the woman whose story inspired my song, Forgiveness. And it was a story that wouldn't let me go. I remember I kept her story printed out in my guitar case for two years before I was finally able to sit down and finish that song, Forgiveness. Renee's story was about how she lost her daughter. Her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. That drunk driver was a 24-year-old kid named Eric. Eric was sentenced to 22 years in prison for the crime he committed. I'm always sorry to the families for what I've done. I would give my life. I would honestly give my life if I could to bring them back to you. After Renee lost her daughter, she said she found herself in the darkest place she'd ever been. This guy Eric was behind bars, but she said she felt like the prisoner. Why? Because she had all this bitterness and hatred built up towards that young man who stole the life of her daughter. Slowly but surely, God began to work, and he brought Renee out of that dark place. I knew that was my moment, because he was sitting right there. That I had to, to look him in the eyes, and I had to say, I forgive you. At that moment, it was like the healing began. Today, a mother who lost her daughter eight years ago to a drunk driver and the man behind the wheel of that vehicle joined together to speak to local students. When they give me a hug and, and they share their stories with me, it just, it just lets me know that they can relate to me and that they understand that you don't have to be a bad person, you just have to make a bad choice. Now here's where the story comes full circle. We went on tour this fall with the Into the Light tour. We played forgiveness every night and Renee was a special guest at many of the shows and she shared her story with the audience in person. We did four shows in Florida, the state where Eric is currently in prison, and I was blown away when the Department of Corrections agreed to allow Eric to attend all four of those concerts. Tell you what, if you ever wondered what forgiveness looks like, what redemption looks like, what a miracle looks like, what healing looks like, what victory looks like, what freedom looks like. I can think of no better pictures than what you see on this video. Renee and 11 of her family members each took turns standing before a judge and speaking on Eric's behalf. They asked the judge to cut his sentence in half so that he could start a second chance at life. The judge had never made this decision before, but after hearing Renee and everyone speak on his behalf, he agreed to cut Eric's sentence in half. And before the end of 2012, Eric will be a free man in more ways than one. Forgiveness, it changed it all around, and it, it let an inmate out. And as the song said, it set a prisoner free. And I might only be free for tonight, and I might have to go back to a prison, but I've been one of the most free prisoners in the world. I hope this song, Forgiveness, and the powerful story that inspired it has challenged you, maybe even forced you to ask yourself some, some questions. And when you think about it, there's some pretty life-defining questions, and they all revolve around that one word, forgiveness. Have I understood that I'm broken, I'm flawed, I'm imperfect, that I'm a prisoner, and that I need to embrace the forgiveness God offers to me? Do I really get it? Have I let it wash over me that God sent His only Son to die on a cross for me so that I don't have to wear the weight of all my sin and all my shame? See, we all have that opportunity to experience the freedom that Eric has, to experience the joy and the victory and the healing that Renee has. We can be prisoners set free, and all we have to do is say, Yes, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness in my life, and I accept it right here and right now. I pray that you won't let another second go by in your life without discovering the freedom that's found.
in the power of one word, forgiveness. give away the last thing on your mind today it always goes to those who don't deserve it's the opposite of how you feel the pain they caused is just too real it takes everything you have to say the word forgiveness forgiveness Lies in the face of all your pride It moves away the mad inside It's always anger's own worst enemy Even when the jury and the judge Say you got a right to hold a grudge It's the whisper in your ear saying Set it free Forgiveness prisoner free there is no end to what its power can do so let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace the prisoner that it really frees is you forgiveness to our own devices that when you left this earth you said I won't abandon you but I will send my most excellent Holy Spirit to reside within your very soul 
to guide you on the path of how to forgive. To shine the light of the Father into your very depth of your soul so you can be healed. So that you will do greater things than I have done. So that they will know that you are Christians by your love for one another. Lord, we can only cancel the debt as we scream out with you, sometimes in great pain to ourselves, in great sacrifice. Help us torch those scorecards today, Lord. Help us to refuse to get even. It's not about that. I don't set accounts straight, you do. The only person I'm accountable for is me before you. Settle that account, Lord, as I forgive. And then, Lord, remove from me anything that would keep me from reinfection because I don't want that. Teach me how to walk a lifestyle of forgiveness. Lord, teach us. Lead us in a plain path, O Lord, because of our oppressors. Show us how to walk. Walk with you. Be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We would hide your words in our hearts so that we don't sin against you and others. Help us to live a lifestyle of forgiveness so that your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven through us. In your name we pray this morning, Jesus. Amen.